0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest Higher Ed Happy Hour podcast. We're actually having a happy hour this time. Uh, my name is Kevin Carey from New America. I am joined today by Libby Nelson from Vox.com and Andrew Kelly from. The American Enterprise Institute. Good afternoon, guys. How are you? Hi, Kevin. Great, Kevin. So we are. Um, we're drinking at an appropriate hour this time. Libby, what are we drinking?
1: We are drinking Moscow Mules uh, in copper mugs with ginger beer and vodka and limes.
0: Oh, no, these, these are your personal. These are my personal, personal mugs that your, I carried
1: into to New America. That you just
0: carry with you all the time? Yes, in your always. backpack full of different drink things that you Don't have with you at all time? <laughs> I all right. was Cheers. sort of clanking. Cheers. My oh, that was, sh- was good. Was sort of unsatisfying. Slashy, <laughs>
2: sort of clunk. Copper mugs, a must, it's a good summer drink. A must have. They it's used a good to serve drink. Moscow mules in copper mugs at Bar Pilar, and then people stole too many of them, and so they stopped. Oh,
0: wow! Yeah, Wait, Moscow mules became a thing like in the last two years. So I feel actually,
1: like. yeah, I have a story about this, which is okay. that they were a thing in the 60s or in the 50s in Los Angeles. They went away everywhere except for Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, where they never quit serving them at the like two main bars where politics and journalism people hang out. And in my Scranton years, I my Scranton year. Uh, when I was working at the paper up there, my best friends lived in Harrisburg and I would go down and see them. And so we were like very ahead of everybody else on this Moscow Mule train. I don't we, think
2: I knew that you had yeah. a Scranton year. We have to yeah. do an entire podcast <laughs> on your
0: Yeah, well, it's just <laughs> a, a new Yeah, um, after
1: I was a Chronicle intern and it was 2010, so there were no jobs anywhere for anyone, um, I went up to, to Scranton and worked at the local paper there where I had yes. been an intern in college. And I would totally do a Scranton hour uh, of the podcast. How it's, did
2: you wind up there in the first place? Like as an Literally
1: intern. applying to every newspaper in America that would take somebody who had no professional experience That's when I was twenty. It's
0: the classic first job yep. for someone who goes on to better things. I like cried free, when they yeah. gave
1: me the offer. I was so happy. Um, then I realized I when I went there full time, I realized I'd made a horrible mistake and because got the job was, at Inside Higher yeah. Ed, which was the only job in America I was qualified for. Um, which so thankfully it opened up at the right time.
0: Now is the office running? Is this something that, do people talk about? Uh, it, like, all the they time? do all
1: the time. The office they have like office. They had like an office day at the mall where right. businesses would like bring in their swag mm-hmm. and it could maybe get on the office they'd never filmed there uh but the cast is extremely popular there and the, the office was so that building
0: isn't in scranton the exteriors that. the exteriors
1: are the well
0: no the credits sh- are shot, shot in outside that building though so that couldn't be yeah. yeah the
1: credits are shot in scranton everything else is huh. in wherever it is they film California. la yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: and it's the magic scranton pennsylvania where you can drive to manhattan in like 20 minutes which mm-hmm. is not the real scranton pennsylvania. <laughs> having done that
1: many times yeah. i can tell you it was two and a half hours on yeah. a good day
2: that is a, that's, and that's Biden country. So, right. you know. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <Biden is> an <laughs> I can, tell, I can tell Scranton stories some all fun, day. Some <laughs> fun, interesting people. <laughs> all right, well, we'll have to,
0: we'll have to set up a whole Scranton-related we'll agenda.
1: There Patton are so many Scranton people in higher ed. I hope they're all listening to this. Um, I'm constantly <laughs> running <Scranton laughs> in um, into people Cheers. with Scranton connections.
2: All right. <laughs> Cheers to Scranton. Here's the P- P- Scranton. And Here's the Pennsylvania. Here's the Harrisburg. Moscow mules.
0: So this week, there was a hearing of the House, education labor and pensions committee senate senate labor education i always get them confused because the, the house one changes the house one changes depending workforce. on who's in power it's the labor comes out when the republicans mm-hmm. are in and power yeah. it becomes workforce in. and then yep. the labor goes back in but whereas in the senate they don't take it out helps always the same so it's always the same that tells you something i guess about tells you something. the senate really
1: prizes acronyms yeah i
0: guess that's, that's right it. um so they had a hearing yesterday um One that in a series of hearings that has been organized by the uh, uh, new chairman, Senator Lamar Alexander, um, probably the most qualified person in American history to ever be chairman of the education committee since he's had literally every important education job that exists um, in his career. Um, and he's been a busy guy. He has been very, very involved in the now um, far along negotiations to finally, finally, finally reauthorize the Elementary and Secondary Education Act. Um, and he um, is also talking. And this hearing that happened uh, yesterday was uh, in anticipation of a possible set of conversations around um, reauthorizing the Higher Education Act. So we are going to, for our listeners, we're going to take a little, a little detour, a little summer detour, and talk a little bit about. The Elementary and Secondary Education Act and what's been going on with that um, and then what its implications are for higher education. Libby, you have been following this closely as a reporter. Where do things stand?
1: Yeah, um, the Senate actually passed a bill and passed a bill 81 or 82 to 17. Um, so it was not even really close that basically gets rid of most of No Child Left Behind. It keeps the testing. It keeps the sort of vague idea that states need to have some kind of accountability system. It leaves what the system look like looks like up to the states. It's basically the shape of the compromise that we thought was going to happen. Um, I'm just absolutely like beyond stunned that it actually happened. I've been saying all year that I really didn't think this was going to go anywhere. The House tried to vote on their bill, which is much more conservative. In February, it was not conservative enough. Heritage went after it. They pulled it from the floor. And I kind of assumed at that point it was dead. Um, because if, if the House couldn't have passed their own bill, there's no way that they were going to agree with the Senate on anything and why were they going to spend all this time on this bill that clearly was not going to pass. Um, but I was wrong. Alexander and Murray came to a compromise that got most people to go along with it. I still don't know how many House Republicans they're going to get to go along with anything Obama would sign, but they seem to be taking it really seriously. I mean, there there's a conference in September. They are going through the motions of trying to actually – get something to Obama that, in theory, he would maybe sign. He hasn't ve- – there's no veto threat on the House bill yet. Um, Duncan's been pretty on the critical. critical. On the, oh, yes, thank you. Sorry, yeah. There is there is a veto threat on the House bill. There is right. not a veto threat on the Senate bill yet. There is a sort of strongly worded, we're very disappointed, uh, that there is no subgroup accountability, which is – Scold. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, – it was sort of the, we're going to see how this goes, but we're really not happy with you. But it's not – I mean, it's not a veto threat. He hasn't said he'd veto mm-hmm. it, so um, – Yeah. And as far as what this means for HEA, what I've always said is I actually think there's a much clearer compromise between the people who matter at this point, which is congressional Republicans and the Obama administration on some HEA things. I just assumed that ESEA would never get done. And that would poison the well because you can't have a bill that's like one year overdue leapfrog bill that's now eight years overdue. So I am now uh, becoming more optimistic as well that that some kind of compromise will, will happen on HGA, although it's much less necessary than it was on a No Child Left Behind. And every
0: time you have turnover, you're you're building a new set of staff relationships. Yeah. And those matter a lot, right? Like all yeah. the stuff that I mean, happens. Murray and Alexander seem – I mean yeah.
1: Alexander obviously has interest in this stuff and in, in getting it done, but Murray apparently has they've clearly been working well together in, in some way because there are actual compromises coming out of out of the Senate committee now.
2: I think there's also like an undercurrent here where um, <clears throat> Republicans, particularly Alexander, were um, exceptionally critical and frustrated with the Obama administration's waivers mm-hmm. waiver process. Um, and so I think I think their some of their thinking on this was the longer we wait, the more we're empowering them. And then depending on who won in 2016, right, we're empowering on more and more. Alexander it t- seems to me to be a guy who had who who actually does think about separation of powers in a way that that some old, older school lawmakers used to right which was like asserting congressional prerogatives where he sees that they Belong and so I, I wouldn't. I think that was part of this urgent his urgency on this.
1: And I think that's the case for the House bill. I mean, if 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 you're trying to sell it to a Republican caucus that was skeptical of their even more conservative version to begin with, it's you know it's this or nothing. It's this or two more years of waivers and then whatever the next administration wants to do, they basically get to do at that point.
2: No, were you mostly surprised? I was just curious. Would you were you mostly surprised because of divisions within the Senate? No, on it, or because of the potential for like. Executive congressional strife over more
1: it. more intra congressional strife. I would say. I mean, it it really after the sort of House snafu in January or February, which was fascinating. I mean, they were going to vote on the bill and didn't have the votes at really the last minute. Um, they got roll? It was on the schedule. Yeah, majority
2: and never gets rolled.
1: At that point, it was kind of like, well, like this seems like a waste of time. You know, they're they're not going to be able to pass anything together that Obama will sign. Um, but apparently, somebody has confidence that I do not that there is some kind of workable.
2: You have to remember too, like Compromise like con- con- people in Congress um, often often do the do these things strategically, right? Mm-hmm. They want to be on the record of having voted against something mm-hmm. that they think you know, or having having helped to scuttle something they thought yeah. was wrong, um, and then they can say you know, and then and then there will be a, a couple people that roll over and and make a majority, but then those all those people can say, I voted against the earlier bill, which was wait, which was totally wrong. Yeah. And we won some concessions here right. and there. And, you know, it's all – there's a yeah. lot of strategic behavior. Yeah, and there work. was
1: something – I don't remember even what it was that was going on at the time. But there was something big – you know, there was something bigger and sucking up more oxygen trade, than that. I think. Yeah, I think it was trade was, or yeah. where it was just important to draw a line in the sand. Mm-hmm. And then they brought it back in the doldrums of, of July when some education reporters like myself were on vacation and <laughs> it went through.
0: And so is there, are there any issues that matter other than the question of what level of federal authority will exist relative to requiring states to intervene in low-performing schools? Or is that the issue? That is the issue. Right. That is
1: the only issue at this point. Um, I mean, there are some Title I issues. There's a funding formula thing I, I don't understand yet, so I'm not going to talk about Um there is Title I portability, which is sort of voucherizing within public schools. Title One is not a great way to describe and it. That was in the House bill. That's in the House bill, not in the Senate bill. Right. So it's possible that'll come up. Um, Senate
2: bill failed. The Senate, the amendment in the Senate yeah. failed. Right.
1: Um, but that's the only other. I mean, the issue is, and one that really has shifted the alliances in weird ways. Um, civil rights groups and the Obama administration really want some kind of tougher. Mm-hmm we are going to tell states how many schools they have to identify as low-performing or that they have to do something about it, not necessarily what they're going to do, but that they have to intervene in right. some way. Um, teachers unions and uh, congressional Republicans are against it. So it's it's the strangest sort of local control. Local control has now got really strange political bedfellows together on it.
2: Well, it's also like there's also – it's hard to look at the last 10 or 15 years um, – and suggest that the feds have figured out how to do that well, right? So My sure. understanding of a lot of the arguments in favor of it are, oh, well, we've tried, we just haven't done it right yet. Mm-hmm. As opposed to saying, you know what? It's pretty hard for us to write rules to tell states what to do, and then states tell districts what to do, and then districts tell schools what to do. And, right, like that whole sort of, like, that, that, that telephone game, it's the same in all these federal policy areas, right? It's really hard to change behaviors on the ground from here.
1: Well, and I think it's telling that it's not – it's not how prescriptive to be. It's do something versus not. You know, it's there. There is really not a voice saying these are the strategies that schools are going to have to implement because like we sig. don't necessarily. Yeah, like, like say, Sig, which
2: was just saying like all of the No Child Left
1: Behind cascading sanctions. <laughs> I mean, else? there is not a proposal to sort of put something that prescriptive in from anybody. As far as I, as far as I'm aware.
0: Just, I mean, despite the fact that uh, hardly anybody, and I'm going to probably try to write something about this. But hardly anybody used the Mm -hmm. sanctions that really had teeth. And
1: that worked. And The one that was proven to work is they're replacing replacing everybody.
0: The the only one that really worked was the hardest one. And that was the one that no one wanted to do. And even under SIG, which sort of narrowed the list, still had an escape hatch. And and unsurprisingly, everyone took it. And so I think we can conclude, based on that evidence, that if the federal government doesn't require states to make hard choices, they won't. And – so I hard mean, it just to infer seems like- that
2: though, right? I mean, if we we know the, so we know the hardest one is the one that worked, but right. but people could choose which one they wanted. Right. And so so the one so so like people who were actually dedicated to improving their school chose a hard one, right? So it's sort of there's sort of like an endogeneity here. Like I I don't know whether that works as much as i know that people that some some subsets of school leaders right. chose that or district leaders chose that because they thought that you know what i mean so yeah, there's the a six selection or like, thing six going or like, on there
1: are like 25 or harder schools in north carolina that right. actually went all the way through to the end of it but
0: it's, it's not, not it's not, like it's that not many. Was randomly
2: assigned right like people chose the hard sure, one okay. for reasons yeah. i mean they're not, right? they're
0: not i mean i yes i think that's right i mean it is cuz I mean, you could do that a... really
2: badly too right you could you could you could clean house right and just repopulate it with all teachers who are lemons from other Schools.
0: I mean, it's interesting that we have that it all comes down to this very high-profile debate about whether or not the federal government will require, will take actions that it's never even really taken very much. You know, so it, like this, it's it's seen as this important ratcheting back of federal intrusion into a traditionally state and local affair that has never been very intrusive and has had very little effect, practically speaking on the ground because not that many people ever sort of ch- made the hard choice and uh, hard in, I mean, in various meanings of that word, right? It so. was
2: intrusive. Well, NCLB was intrusive in very, in very visible ways that were not necessarily consequential for the school, right? But visible ways in that, like Homedale ho- schools in Homedale, school, a, a town near where I grew up, which is very wealthy, got labeled, um, failing to make AYP. Right. right. Which is like an absolute conniption, right? People paid lots of money for their home because some, and subgroup, some students, subgroup didn't make it. So, right. which so, seems reasonable to me. Uh, well, well, I mean, maybe, right? I mean, so, so, but, th- but that's that the, was the point. Of, I mean, it was supposed to do that. But, but, to, yeah, so, th- so that is, that is, that is intrusive, right? And I don't, I don't disagree with it. That was, that was part of the point. But, right. but it doesn't change the fact that, um, this is what we, before we came on, I was t- talking about how there's sort of a hollowing out. Um, underneath the uh, uh, of that oh, sure. big broad yeah. coalition of people yeah. who were all no one's about left this. this, right? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's
1: literally the Obama administration yeah. and like Ed yeah, by themselves.
2: No, yeah, that's true. Kennedy's gone. George Miller's gone. Yeah. Right. Uh, um, Boehner was a big was a was a supporter of NCLB. NCLB. You know, now he's got other responsibilities, right? Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so um, trying to keep his job in a different yeah. political environment. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: yeah. No. It used to be there was this durable bipartisan. And um, used to be a
2: little relative because it was around for a, only a couple. of ten, years yeah, anyway. for,
0: for ten minutes
1: there was. Well, this I mean, but, like, in a lot of ways,
0: yeah. but I mean, you can in a lot of ways. <laughs> this new version is just taking us back to nineteen ninety four. You know, like the big. I mean, you can argue Pretty that much, yeah. The, yeah. the biggest change was not nineteen ninety four to two thousand one. It was yeah, whatever, whatever it was before ninety four to ninety four. Yeah. IASA, the Improving IASA, American yes, right. Schools right. Act. Which basically said you have to have standards, you have to have tests, but you figure out accountability. Um, and also you figure out tests and standards. And, and so and we're not going all the way back since I think we'll still have annual testing. Um, we will for sure
1: still have annual testing. And, and that You did wasn't not read drive, my article today, Kevin, so, about how annual was, testing is never going away. I was busy
0: away. fighting with Twitter about the piece that I wrote That today. sounds very so, important. So, I mean, yeah. I was having – I have a loyal group of Twitter haters who get on Twitter. and good. I mean, you made it. Every time I publish anything. means you so made sometimes it. Sometimes I get addressed so, haters. That's a fun, so, That's a fun day. Um, um, no, I wrote my piece today about why uh, universities are an illusion and don't exist. Um, uh, a piece I've been wanting to write for a long, long time. So this is a good day for me. Um, but a su- subject for another day. So, um, <laughs> no, I did not read your piece, Libby. Sorry about that. I haven't
1: read yours either. Yeah, so yeah, so should probably okay. go do that. Right. Um,
0: but, uh, um, yeah, so, you know, we're kind of going back. So, I mean, that was, that was the scene as the difference in 2001 that, yeah, we're serious. Like we can't, so we tried it in 94. I mean, so what everyone said in 2001 was in 94, we got the architecture of standards and tests and accountability in place. And we left it up to the states. And lo and behold, some states did some stuff, right? Texas was big on all that stuff, which is one of the things that helped George W. Bush get elected. Massachusetts did a lot of things. So some states did it. Some states didn't. And 2001 was every state has to do it. That was the whole point of it. And now we're going to kind of go back to some states can do it if they want to. And some states won't. And, and presumably, that's what will happen if, if
2: it yeah, passes. yeah, I think the I think the only exception that I would make with that is that the that the cascading remedies, under the first under under nclb of uh, public school choice and supplemental services yeah, I and mean, then, then corrective action and then uh, rec- and to be clear, I don't think re- any of that works very well you know yeah. I mean the, the point yeah, that yeah, you yeah. can't that it but is, that's a, but that's an issue yeah. here right the, at issue here is whether the feds can prescribe that stuff or not right the testing and the accountability structure and and all that um, was always left up to the states Right. Sure. I mean, it always yeah. was. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so this isn't that much of a change on right. that. A lot of this is just doing away with what people saw, and it's not just interventions in schools. It's teacher evaluation policy. It's oh, that's not an NCLB. That's, that's not, all waiver Yeah, that's a waiver. Well, but highly qualified, highly qualified teachers was sure. part of NCLB. Yeah. but that's been, a that's been
0: dead for that. Never even lived, really. I mean, it lived for like five years. It didn't work, and they stopped.
2: Yeah, but five years is you know. I mean, I, mean years I remember five remember because I was writing about it back then, and it was it was I mean, it's how, how long that coalition existed, right? It's uh, it was a it was a dumb idea, and it didn't work. But that's the thing to remember about this, right? Is, it, is that is that NCL, even the cascading remedies were a series of really awkward compromises, right? Sure. The Bush the Bush blueprint, um, you know, looked not, looked a little bit like NCLB, but not a whole lot, right? Remember, there were like voucher the public school choice would have been vouchers for students mm-hmm. stuck in family sure. schools. Yeah. Supplemental services was kind of given as a compromise position, right? Oh, we'll have we'll allow like some po- private choice. Via a oh, voucher-like sure. yeah. thing, right? So it was all just really awkwardly. Bush and it was-
0: sold out the pro-voucher right so hard in 2001 and marginalized them for a good 10 years.
2: He had to because Kennedy wouldn't. Right, have and they involved, and
0: yeah. they they were mad about it the whole time, and so they've been kind of reasserting their their. I mean, you saw it in the the Romney platform in the last election. Yep. It's going to be be all
1: over. I mean, it's going to be all over this election. These are things I'm not writing about. Which is too bad because because
2: it's not a good idea. It won't work very well. But but, um, but, do you mean title one portability or vouchers? No, actual vouchers. Vouchers. Yeah. Like real vouchers. I don't don't even quite understand. I don't think think it won't work. But I think think it's politically very difficult for sure. Um,
0: So the question is, politically, uh, it's this delicate thing like, can we go right enough to get the House on board and then somehow keep Obama from... Diving off, and it's and so it's, I mean, the
1: question is, will Obama right. sign a bill without this, the, the, right. the civil rights protections or the, the accountability requirement that the civil rights groups want? So
0: that sounds hard. Now, the I two things the two things that could happen one, they could take advantage of the only um. The only process left for passing laws in our American democracy by 2015, which is bipartisan Senate compromise and then temporary suspension of the Hastert rule in the House, which is the only way a law of consequence can get passed in America right now. Um, I kind of – like I doesn't feel we quite have important pass, we enough. We have passed without that. So that's true. That's true. Uh, um, yeah, I mean that is – I think not quite feel suspend the Hastert room, rule important enough to me. You know, I mean – I don't know. It's an interesting question. I think you've got it
2: flipped, man. I, I think. I think. I, I, the notion that Obama is going to veto. Oh no! Well, so no. No. my second thing was my, veto my it. the second I thing is he'll sign whatever they send
0: to him. Right. Will he just sign whatever they send because he just throws it onto the pile of domestic policy accomplishments. And I think. Uh, it's, I think
2: it's more than just that. I, I think if he. I think if he were to reject it, um, it 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 potentially tarnishes. Um, uh, what they see as their legacy in K twelve, because it says, "Oh, you 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 don't like it when Congress actually weighs in on this." And your whole argument this whole time has been that Congress won't get its act yeah, together. Yeah, no one cares about that though. For in terms yeah, of legacy, but, no one cares. It's
1: uh, just, I mean, I mean, I actually think educa- it educators
2: their legacy
0: do legacy on
1: K twelve in terms of getting rid of everything. I mean, waivers are going to go away. They're not popular enough. Most of the waiver policy is going to go away. Teacher evaluations are going to go right? away. You know, you know I mean, but I, mean, I think <clears> there's <throat> no way Obama cannot sign it on those grounds. I mean. You can't say I think c- Obama would prefer for this bill not to go anywhere and for waivers to exist for another sure. two years. But, yeah, I'm I think, not sure, but I'm not sure I think the like, case for him vetoing I mean, it is not sure. I mean a veto of this has, is like
0: number of, number seventy-five on the list of things that happened during Obama's eight years in office that mattered. Oh. I mean, so I don't know. I don't know. I mean it's I, like if I think he I think He's you're not both. to brag r- about it. I, think, I think you are both right. It. I who, think he will who, sign it. But I kinda
2: wish he wouldn't. Which what K twelve constituencies are still on Obama's side? Um, the, n- the elite school reform community. Yep. That's, a, and even that's a little bit yeah. tenuous, right? He's, lo- he's lost, he's lost almost in everybody on the right who's, a, who, who was a school reform I proponent. guess so, sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there, a lot of those yeah. people were pro yeah, yeah. race to the top yeah, and right, I3 mean, I and mm-hmm. so I, so I don't know, right? It's just like, so, yeah. so, so, I mean, it's so veto- I vetoing it basically solidifies that, that as your legacy, which is I polarized. I I basically led everybody to retreat except for, like, funded elites who write about ed reform for a living.
0: Whoever those people are. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um. (laughs)
2: Some of them sit here in New (laughs) York.
0: No, I think that's right. I I mean, it it is – Pretty remarkable, kind of how and not, not, and things. honestly,
2: I mean, through through certainly through some fault of his own and and Arnie Duncan's, but also largely through the fault of a big cumbersome federal piece of legislation that was falling apart almost from the day it was passed. NCLB. Right. Like, sure. So like you just sort of inherit that and you got to do something about but it. I don't
0: know, like Arnie Duncan's fault. I mean, they just I mean, they, they I mean, all Arnie Duncan has tried to do is make the law work, like given the tools available to him. I mean, I mean, you're right. NCLB Lots was of the things, and
2: the waivers are not an are not remotely an NCLB. So he did so two making things. the okay, law. Okay.
0: Work. He did two things. He, I mean, he, he, somebody had to step in and like prevent the law from like blowing up American public education with 100 percent and everyone being a failing school. Like someone had to do that. And he did that, and then in doing that, he also said, "I'm going to implement my whole agenda via administrative fiat." Um, which, whatever, it's legal. So he can do it. Making, you know, the I mean? la-
2: making the law work. Now, I like that. That's good. We'll see how we'll see how the next Republican president makes certain laws work. Well,
0: but, but that's just administrative <laughs> law, you know. I mean, I mean, that's just the, the constant push and pull between. Executive decision making—it's
2: pretty much unprecedented in in educa- in federal education policy.
0: Well, we—but I mean, that's all very new, though. I mean, we're talking about the last twenty or thirty. It's years the one's since, been around I mean, for a long time, but it was right? a
2: funding program for a long time. So, yeah, but ESEA's so. ASCA has gone out of date. Is it, before. is it
0: unprecedented? Yes. Is it is is it as some people, like your colleague Rick Hasse, have said, illegal? No, of course not. I like, am not, not a lawyer, so I'm not either. But but the fact that it's happening. Means it's legal, right? I mean, I mean, yes, that's the way these things work. You know, right. I mean, so,
2: I mean, there are you can spoken, like spoken like a true Nixon. White no, no, House no, Ed. no, no, no. Okay, I reject that. <laughs> so Nixon didn't say that.
0: <laughs> Nixon said if the president decides it, it has to be legal. What I'm saying is, if a if it uh,
2: happens, if the if, president if, decides it and it happens, no,
0: I mean, if if a if a if a federal agency working with the powers that it's been delegated by Congress, like makes a bunch of decisions and it's not adjudicated and nobody sues them and the courts don't say that it's not illegal, then it's legal. I mean, that that's like we do this all the time. Like the federal government is constantly engaged in litigation where where the courts are every day setting boundaries about you can do this, you can do that, you can't do this, you can do this, you, can do this. you, can do this. you can't do that. That's the way the system works. Like that is how we decide what is legal and what isn't. And it's the
2: administrative state. And, and, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, I have gotten
1: a little afield here. I'm just a little bit, okay, that. all right. I'm just going to okay. throw that okay. in here.
2: Yeah. You, um, Kim and I argued yesterday, too. So we I did. We argued. Okay. Okay. had a warm up. We had a 25-minute like, yeah. argument about we were this morning. We sort of
0: argued About whether or not there was a student yeah. loan crisis. Yeah, that's
2: right.
1: I heard there was a debate about that.
0: There'll be another topic.
1: Not among you guys. Oh, no, I wasn't
0: there. So what does this mean for higher education? Since this is the higher education... Um, right. <laughs> so I, th- I feel like the, the kind of precedent and apparatus of making bipartisan policy decisions is better now than it has been since forever.
1: So, I mean, on the upside in for the Senate, AGA, anyway. AGA is easier. Right. I actually think Senate Republicans and Obama could probably hammer out an, an AGA that they would like in, like, 20 minutes. I mean, it's the, the path is fairly clear on most things. Senate Democrats, maybe not so much, but Senate Democrats are no longer in the majority. So they're not yeah. writing the bill. Um. I don't – but the – I mean, HEA – the the downside for HEA is ESEA is an emergency and really has been an emergency for, like, five years. But the waiver – you know, what, whether or not – the waivers, the waiver waivers, the waiver pauses, the waiver extensions, I mean, it, it really clearly – like, somebody has to write some legislation about yeah. this and fix the situation. HEA could go on as it is for – Ten more years? Yeah.
0: No, I mean it's... twenty
1: more years forever. I mean, there is once interest rates got fixed, I assumed HGA was not gonna was not gonna change because there was not going to be any kind of yeah, what's crisis. Yeah. What's
0: the problem that needs to be solved by reauthorizing well, and HGA. I don't
1: think anyone agrees on what the problem is. that sort of, or even agrees that there is, a, you know, that there is a problem, but it's which is a common political issue, but no one seems to be able to define exactly what it is they're even trying to do.
2: I mean, there are there are things that are defined in statute, right? That 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 occasionally need updating. You could piecemeal do those things, right? You could, yeah, like loan limits and such, right? Things that will just will eventually need uh, indexing, right? Or well, adjusting. And, the, and there's a
1: great bipartisan coalition around faster reform, around you know, prior, I think, I think emerging those, around prior prior yeah. year. I mean, there are definitely things that would be good things that most people seem to agree are good things. That I think it's one done. of those
2: situations where where it could run on autopilot, and but but then five years, five or six years from now, the hue and cry from your constituents about this whole thing would be will be even louder, right? So, so I, I tend to think that this will be sort of a, um, not quite a rubber stamp, but probably like two or three key priorities that are not that are that are relatively consensual. Student yeah, unit record. It's
1: gonna be a boring yeah. bill. <laughs>
2: yeah. It's gonna be boring um, to cover.
1: I mean, I look forward to cover. I, I think this, it'll be, it's gonna be, a, it's gonna I, think, be I think there'll
2: be a lot. Of, I think there'll be some like pilot demo. Type projects that'll do a lot of what they talked about yesterday.
1: I think competent. Yeah, I think competency will, will get in there somehow. I think. Yep. You
2: know, and then you'll the have an IG investigation stuff, five years which from is now. Good. What? You'll have an IG investigation five years from now. <laughs> yep. I mean, they, they've already scolded. <laughs> they already scolded the department about it. So they're very like. And I and I'm am a supporter of the idea and principle certainly, but I think that's going to be that. That's going to be an interesting thing.
1: I think the really interesting thing is risk sharing, which is getting a sort of. I mean, Walker talked about risk sharing recently. Right. It's really getting this sort of somewhat bipartisan force behind it that would actually be a substantive change. I, um,
0: I feel like that's partly your fault slash victory there. I feel like you're, you've been talking a lot about risk sharing. So tell our listeners indeed. what that means.
2: Well, risk sharing, uh, it depend, there, there's different ways to do it. But basically, the, the intuition is um, uh, thinking about colleges as playing, playing the role of something of like an originator when it comes to student loans. And um, – but bearing none of the risk if their students or very little of the risk if their students fail to repay them – repay the loan. So, um, you know, we have rules around credit def- – uh, uh, cohort default rates. Which are which – are enforced. And well, and they're, and they're also right. threshold problems. The bigger yeah. problem is they have a threshold problem where if you're just above it, you're totally out. If you're just below it, you're totally in. And so if you're like five percentage points below it, you're fine. Just riding right. along with a 30%. Just floating rate. along. I mean, yeah. yeah, right. So, um, you know, and they'll get you eventually if it's three years at 30% or whatever. But um, but the idea being that like nobody who's who's uh, above the wor- – or better than the worst um, uh, really has much incentive to, th- to think about improving. Um, and, you know, people push back on that, that, that – Ca- the way I cast that all the time but that, that that's my posi- that's my opinion um, and so the idea would be to put them on the hook for, financially for some some proportion of the um, loans that students don't repay so you could do that by having them buy insurance on the front end right where they they could buy an insurance policy right. um, or you could do it on the back end and have the and just and make them make payments um, for loans that go uh, unpaid um, so I think I think part of what appeals to people about it is it's um, on the Democratic side, they have been um, angry at low-quality colleges, particularly who have for-profit status, um, for years. Um, and then on the Republican side, I think there's a um, there's a sense that the that the incentives for colleges are bad right now uh, in terms of promoting student success, keeping your tuition low. But there but there's no appetite for for these more aggressive um, sort of federal regulatory roles. Not more aggressive than that. Well, I mean like gainful and um, um, the ratings and, you know, sort of these accountability policies that would measure lots of different, you know, a couple different dimensions and kind of have these, you know, elaborate kind of systems of sanctions and rewards. I mean, this is pretty sort of a straightforward... um, And gainful I would, by the way, would put in the
0: category of stuff that is off the table as long as this administration is in power and then it just depends,
2: right? So... You mean like just sort of a done deal for now? Like it's not going
0: to get repealed as long as Obama remains president. And yeah, I
2: mean, I think, I think, I think that the Maybe President Trump will. I be think
0: happy to. I think that there
2: it. will be there will be a long conversation and many votes on amendments to repeal Gainful. Right under H. But he would. He just wouldn't. I mean, it's
0: that's definitely higher than seventy-five on his list of stuff he's done. So
2: yeah, and I think they'll just wait it. And that, so in that so in that respect, I think they'll just wait right. it out.
0: By the way, so side note: when do we get to talk about? the Trump higher education agenda as as serious commenters how far does this whole thing have to play out? I was just saying can... I was so
1: excited that this election there are like many people with ideas about higher education and yeah. it's such a far cry from 2012 like it's going to be so much fun yeah I when ride. do we get to start happens. talking about Trump
0: then University which didn't didn't Andrew Cuomo like shut it down or something or there was some whole it thing? ran into some trouble like yeah. not yet right but yeah. there's got to be some moment it's where not we're allowed credited. to do that and we're not, when we're not debate, bad people right? which is on August
2: 4th oh I don't so I was just talking about this you know I don't I don't begrudge um the this guy any of the coverage he's getting. He's he's it's free country man. He's doing you know, yeah. he's doing he's doing what he wants. Yeah, it's free country. like I, I don't begrudge it. But like, so like
0: a couple of days ago, Huffington Post said we're only we're not going to cover so we're going to put Trump in the entertainment section because we, the media deem him to not be a real candidate. I would say and the rest of the, rest
1: of the media is like not super thrilled with that declaration yeah. to be like I mean, it's just
2: silly like like also
1: now we decide who the candidate like yeah. who the serious candidates are like yes i right. guess to a degree always that has happened but right. like this seems to be more of a
2: i think i think i think it is i think it's clearly like theater right i think a lot of it is just totally over the top ridiculous um but there's clearly something That's resonating with a large group of people. I
0: thought Matt Iglesias wrote a great piece for Vox the other day where he sort of made the point that, you know, here in D.C. there's this perpetual stupid notion about a third party that would be comprised exclusively of the establishment positions of essentially, like, moneyed elite interests. Like, this idea of, like, a Bloomberg third third party, which is all of those things, like, exactly. And his point was, no, a third party would be— precisely the opposite of that it would be essentially all the stuff that no one who's elite thinks is important but a lot of americans do and that is donald trump to a t it's uh you know nativist essentially um, simple right like lots of right? stuff like that so they always,
2: yeah there's there's a the political scientists wrote the, this like paper that people cite all the time easy versus hard issues right and there, some like that that race and civil rights was an easy issue because you sort of knew where you stood on it immediately right, right? and that politicians that that both, both on both played the race card on the segregationist side and on the other and on the other side uh, that they were effective for that reason. Like George Wallace, right? Was that's the one of the big things that people remember as kind of states' rights guy, right? But it was all it was all basically racially coded, right? Do
1: you think? Because I definitely I think, remember him as the segregationist guy. Yeah, I sort of feel like Now they, re- they just <laughs> I think
2: the coding
0: has become what they remember him by, and yeah. no one cares about states' I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, maybe. I mean. Yeah. The important thing is that conversation allowed us to put the word Trump in the uh, tweets and advertisements for the, this podcast. That we'll Trump be University, out, so. by
2: the way, is doing exactly what every other traditional university does, which is using a brand that people recognize to sell. Are right, you going to go with this? That's a hot take. Andrew. To sell um, uh, programs of dubious value to people. Every other university. Yeah. Okay. Well. You just told me today that universities are fiction. They are. They are fiction. They're an illusion. Read about it on the upshot at New York Times. So I'm sort of... uh, So I'm not saying that all university programs... I'm saying that universities have proven very adept at creating programs for professionals who want to get a certificate in X, Y, and Z, project management, um, executive MBAs, like these things that where there's actually very little expense on the college side, but tons of tuition revenue.
1: This sounds like a column you should write while I people think so. are interested so in Donald Trump. So, so Trump University,
0: then? like Trump himself, is basically just telling the real truths about uh, uh, America in all its pluses and minuses in a particularly vulgar way that is nonetheless kind of maybe more authentic than the people who like to dress up those things in, in, in lots of other things. Uh, right.
2: Is that what I'm hearing? No, I, th- no, 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 no. I think, um, oh, I, in terms of the candidate himself, I'm talking about the, whatever he charges for his expertise when you can sign up for classes with, um, with, he does have an actual Trump University. No, I know it's a thing. But yeah. Again, wasn't it? Shut down? It's not an American history class or like a public policy thing. I'm. I'm pretty sure it's focused on like real estate or deals something. and negotiation. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um no, I don't think. I think. I think it's actually there's a there's a total um, disconnect between the fact like somebody we were talking about this just at lunch where like I was like there's only one problem with that like there's very little about him that's actually a Republican, right? I mean, this, think about the stuff that he's harping on, right? right. It's it's not really like a conservative theory of governance or federal role or
1: Well that's why the terror the there. terror of Donald Trump is right. that he runs as a third party candidate. It's not and a like- theor-
2: the well, t- it's not a, for some people the, yeah. the great hope and aspiration yeah. for, for many others for Paul Bogala, yeah who, for, who, on Anderson Cooper every night is cheering cheering this of on of course he is oh my yeah. god you couldn't design a better I, you
0: couldn't design a better I think like, this is helping I think this is helping for Hillary
2: Clinton to the White House I think this that. is helping I mean if, so I think I think right now it's helping I think obviously he, uh, I think it helps Republicans I think. Wait, if, oh okay
0: alright I the, think if he runs as an a, the independent you think Donald Trump thing is helping Republicans yeah
2: because because they get this great foil to say to say this guy doesn't stand with us and you're gonna, you're going to have a lot of people in the in the country who are not nativist who are not uh you know pop sort of attracted by populist demagoguery who are going to be like you know what these are the adults in the room
1: this is kind of true though actually the bar for crazy has suddenly been raised to a degree that like but even don't the you 2012 think people primary are going to notice like
0: which debate he's in you know because he's not in the democratic debate i mean there's there's a reason for that i mean it's not random there's actually
2: no reason for that honestly I mean, there's
0: some reason for it cuz he's not in it
2: well he but his but his political donations are de- to democrats so there's like some problem here that right there's like He's decided to be a Republican. Well,
0: no, no, come on now. I mean, I mean, if you run, I mean, so the the recent public he decided thrilled, to run as
2: a Democrat because he doesn't Republican. like Obama. Sorry, as a as a Republican, right. because he doesn't like Obama for some reason, right?
0: Well, because Obama wasn't born in America, as Trump has explained to us lots of times. But no, I mean, but no, but I don't think that's not true. I mean, I mean, so he the supported reason,
2: universal health care until like two years ago. The reason Paul Begala, <laughs> <Right>? we're,
0: <laughs> we're one minute away from Libby, Libby saying, oh, "Guys, <laughs> I was um, just going to say so, I really am okay. enjoying this
1: turn into so, Kevin and Andrew so, yelling at each other uh, about unrelated uh, topics." But, but he did the know, reason right? I mean, Paul
0: Begala <laughs> is so excited is that if you, I think I have the numbers right, if you pull Hillary Clinton against Jeb Bush, who's, who's probably as good a Uh, uh, proxy for the actual nominee as one could find for polling Hillary's like 6 points up nationally. If you throw Trump in she's 16 points up so clearly Trump's numbers are coming out of the Republican side of things because crazy nativist demagoguery is a little more of a Republican thing than a Democratic thing I'm not trying to insult our Republican issues I mean isn't that true?
2: Uh, I think if you look at the history of crazy demagoguery it's, no, not, it's not uh, Republican oh, oh
0: that's certainly true yeah. you're absolutely but right. I'm, I'm talking about right now in 2015
2: though um I mean no I don't I don't think that's I don't think that's true I think it's a different kind of I think it's a different kind of uh populism I think I think I think Bernie Sanders v- vision for America is bizarre and I think it sounds bizarre to most Americans uh
0: I called Bernie Sanders weird last week I yeah. have been been spending the last week getting yelled at by Bernie Sanders but partisan, like so yeah so but I'm like our bar for
2: our, our bar for like I mean you know our bar for demagoguery is is um these days is 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 pretty high right like things that things that like in in more moderate times would have looked would have sounded kind of crazy are now sort of are now mainstream on on all sides because of polarization right so I don't think I mean there's this whole theory about the Republicans have moved more further to the right than the Democrats have. I, I don't know I mean empirically there's different schools of thought on that. Um I would suggest that, especially over the past four or five years, maybe maybe shorter than that, since Obama's last election win, that the left has lurched left um, in a pretty in a pretty serious direction. I think Hillary's I think Hillary's agenda is not is, is looks n- almost nothing like um, Al Gore's agenda in two thousand.
0: Maybe I don't know. That's a good question. That's a broad set of questions. Yeah. So yeah,
2: but I know I don't know
0: I don't think I agree with you on all this.
2: Look, I don't think no nobody has a monopoly on demagoguery, right? And in, fa- and in fact, there's sure. and in fact this, this nativist like,
0: demagoguery. Though I feel like that it kind of is a conservative thing right now.
2: Uh, yeah, and you know I who mean, was, it's you know mean, really popular with? Right. Unions, labor unions. I mean, uh, I mean it was. You know who the most nativist people in the country are? The biggest supporters of Democrats.
0: I think that it's clear that comprehensive immigration reform has run up against the shoals of nativism among conservatives. That's why it hasn't passed. Even though probably most Americans would like to pass comprehensive immigration reform and probably most members of Congress. Is that the only group? Democratic and That's Republican. the only group
2: that's run up against the shoals? Uh, it's
0: not the only one, but that's the reason it hasn't passed. Is because of a very strong feeling on the right, on the extreme right, that any 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 kind of reform is an uh, insufficient compromise. I and think, I think those are the people who are getting that are going to put Donald Trump in the center stage of the debate that's going to happen in a week and a half. I mean, that's his constituency, right? Because he's the guy who's been like it's really, talking about. Mexicans. It's really the only
2: thing that it's really the only thing that he is talking about. And I think I think that it will become it will become completely evident. <laughs> Uh, in the, on that debate stage who the adults in the room are and and I and I think that and I think there, there will be a very clear contrast look they they already said they have they have a very small amount of data points for in this latest poll that were taken after the McCain comments sure, made. Yep. and there's a there's a there's a statistically significant decline in his support they said that in the and Washington it's Post. only going to continue to happen right. so let me Nelson. what does this mean for higher education oh my god do you not like politics you write for Vox you have to like politics don't you
1: No, I don't. I don't have to. Oh, my God. Now, I realized a long time ago when I was at Politico, which is a good time to realize this, that I enjoy politics as a spectator sport.
2: Uh hmm um, Which, is not, which is not to say I don't. I have, to I don't right, have to. Yeah, no, at mine all, but, the, but
1: not, I don't actually enjoy yeah. covering it.
2: Yeah. No, yeah, no, she doesn't like it. I did she get, get like, a degree in. Political <laughs> she doesn't like <laughs> the internet, really. You know, <laughs>
0: God bless her. It's a much better. It is a much better way to live your life. No she Twitter. Likes the, she likes public library. You know, and... just kind
2: of. She's just like, what? Why? Oh, I love political
1: fights on the internet. I just choose not to engage in them.
2: Ah, so you're, so you, right? So you, I really do enjoy it. I just like, I just like enjoying it as a spectator. No, I think, that, so I this think is working right again, well. Again, I think we could, I mean, we can put, we can bet on this, right? Does this help, does this help or hurt Republicans? I mean, there's been, there's the battle. <laughs> is there problem. a
0: way for me to bet actual money that this hurts the Republicans?
2: Because I feel like by how the how time we're do do
1: back that? to this podcast, we'll how have do to be conditional
0: question. on him not running as an independent. It's uh, a pretty big condition. Um, okay, sure. Okay. I don't think he will. I think it'd be too expensive. Yeah. So and sure. I don't think it would take too much time.
2: So I think, so I think it helps. And so when I say it helps Republicans, I don't necessarily mean, so there's a difference between saying it helps Republicans as a whole and that it helps, Some Republicans in the Republican field. That's what I think it helps the serious Republicans in the Republican field because they have a foil.
1: Except for the serious Republicans who are trying to, like, announce or make plans or anything, yeah, while well, the only yeah. thing people but, want to pay attention then, to. It. Like, the only Republican primary news that has existed for right, I mean, you, must, you just Donald You see, Trump. It, it is amazing. I came back, well, I thought while I was gone, because I was just completely off the grid for 10 days, that, like, obviously this would have gone away, and there was a horrible see, moment at just, our Monday meeting see, when you, I literally said, wait,
2: Donald Trump, just, Trump is still like, running? Like, they're at the 2%,
0: the 1%, and they're, they're saying mad. themselves, you know, it's still any man's game, or woman, there's one woman in the field, uh... If I could just get a little bit of and then it's like wow 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 wow, Well, and it's, yeah. it's
1: this
2: yeah. crazy oh, man, positioning of like
0: what
1: position do I need to it's take to get four percent of yeah. the polls in order well, actually, to make right. it to the debate. I think, like, per-
2: I think I think Perry was pretty savvy in being like the guy who's gonna go... Out front yeah, trump plays, bashing. It's the way yeah. to get back in this. Um, um, I but I do think I think for the serious candidates, I think they're keep putting their heads down and they're doing hard work in New Hampshire and Iowa to court voters face to face who are and all I guarantee you. There's a crew of voters in those states who are asking them Gosh, what do you think about Trump? I right. think he's being. Yeah. I think he's terrible for this. I but think I mean, are we
0: all? So I mean, I have to say, like, are we? Are we? We're like, oh, he's not, I, I mean, I just said he's not going to run as a third party candidate. But why not? Exactly. It's not like there's no precedent. You're, just, you're the one who
2: said it. No, I, I know. know. But now I'm questioning, <laughs> it, you know, like,
0: I'm questioning it. I feel like we, like maybe we're all underestimating the man a little bit. You know, I mean, I think no one thought it would go this far, right? And I think so, it depends. I think. I think it also I mean, depends just on. like Ross Perot. Let's just keep Ross Perot out there Ross as Perot. a Ross reality. Perot, that
2: happened twice. Ross Perot did not, in the space of like. 2 weeks offend like huge swaths of the american population with, with with like with like in a very short period of time i mean the, the <laughs> level of offense that's possible for the next 16 months is like enormous right so like I mean, it, it, it was the case where I would had I had conversations with like
0: fellow Democrats a couple of days ago where people were like, "Oh, if only he hadn't said that thing about McCain." And I'm, you know, it's like, well, no, you just can't expect that he's going to just strategically be a crazy person okay. in a way <laughs> that just keeps it going and makes the Republicans look bad, but never makes himself look bad. Like no one's going to pull that off. Yeah,
1: maybe well, this is the case for not having a. Twenty-four month presidential election cycle. I think, of many cases, like, I honestly think I honestly, honestly think that's part maybe we can have some fun yeah, for the yeah. if we're going to have to do this for seventeen months.
2: Well, and I think that's part. And again, I think that's part of what is um, part of what an advantage is here for for other Republicans is that I think they're a little bit annoyed. I think the guys who are low in the polling are annoyed by how much oxygen's been sucked out. I think the folks that are steady are polling steady and doing well. I think they're probably just like this is kind of the. Spotlight's sort of off of us and, and, and he's sucking up all right. the bad the bad and good it has press. to end eventually. It's so, mostly bad press. I mean, it's yeah. mostly like critical press. So like, why don't, why don't I just use this time to meet face-to-face with voters and not have to worry so much about the national cycle, right? And, and, and when people ask me about it, condemn it, yeah. right? And then I start, to look, I start to look a lot more... So it's good
0: for Scott Walker, good for Jeb Bush. I think good it's good for Walker Bush,
2: Rubio. Rubio, maybe, Rubio. Maybe, I think it's good for Goss. Perry in that he's, yeah. he's become the Randall, foil. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it's good for Cruz. Cruz said, "Oh, he's saying what a lot of people are." Saying. Well, because Cruz, ha- you
0: know, he had sort of staked out the like maximalist crazy. Vision. Yeah, it's, it's probably disappointing <laughs> you know, I mean, for Ted Cruz so, to be honest. So it's tough to be like he probably thought he was rock solid. Like he's like no one, <laughs> no one is <laughs> no going to can outflank me on this stuff, right? Yeah, you know?
2: and I actually, so again, I don't. I actually think that if you got down to brass tacks and asked Donald Trump about a lot of the issues, I think he would be far. I think he would be left of Ted Cruz on sure, a lot he's of a, it. He's
0: well, an yeah. urban guy from New Jersey. He just hasn't New New talked City, about it. You know, I
2: mean, yeah. no, you're right. I mean, if you look at his position, he hasn't he talked about things. anything. So he talked about like he's talking about, like yeah. veterans, border security, ISIS. Um that's really about oh, it. I think
1: you're overestimating the number of Americans who care about policy. Sadly, Andrew, I really do No, no,
2: I mean no, I'm I more mean like I just think like so so the notion that that uh, Trump has outflanked Cruz, like in some ideological sense, oh, I think yeah. it's not no. right. I think I think in terms of being visi- a visible provocateur. Oh yeah.
0: yes. Which is, I think, a lot of what Mm -hmm. defines Ted Cruz. I don't think he's. I mean, I think he votes the same way as Marco Rubio does. I assume most of the time, right? You know, I mean, I mean, his like his Ted Cruzness and getting from being the junior senator of Texas to being like a nationally known figure, which he did in a short amount of time, was about like kind of going the extra mile in terms of being visible, being uh, a visible senator. Yeah, I think that's right.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to disagree with
0: that. Well, we said it was going to be short. That was a lie. That, that went yeah. well. We <laughs> haven't <laughs> even true. gotten to Vanderbilt. We haven't. Oh, do you right. want
2: to? Do you want to hear silly, silly opinions yeah, we never about even politics? Talked, we, ta- we
0: didn't talk about the first thing you said we were going to talk about.
2: <laughs> I know. How did that happen? I thought you were going to start there, but you didn't. So um, yeah, I did should too. I finish, should I
0: finish off? Should we finish off with a? Why, why don't you just around? rant? Yeah. Why don't you just um, rant okay. about Vanderbilt? Like I, I don't a, think like we've had enough ranting on this podcast. There was a great piece. Okay, I'm going to do this. Um. Quoted by Lamar Alexander, Um, there was a great piece in the Chronicle of Higher Education published yesterday by uh, our friend Goldie Blumenstick, longtime veteran reporter who um, tracked down a study, or tried to, a study that has been widely cited by Vanderbilt University. Vanderbilt University said, look, we have studied our costs of complying with federal regulation. It's $150 million a year, which translates into like... $10,000 a student on a $45,000 tuition. It's been widely cited. It was cited by uh, Chairman Alexander. Am I right in saying that? Um, Goldie responsibly said, hey, can I see the study? And Vanderbilt said, no. Um, we're going to keep citing it, but we're not going to show you the study. And then she more or less kind of figured out probably what the various components of the study are. And it turns out that if you mean complying with federal regulation as a reasonable person would mean it, it's like $3 million, not $150 million. A lot of that is the cost of uh, complying with r- federal research uh, requirements, which is substantial, except universities get reimbursed for that. And they didn't count that right so you get a bunch of federal research money the federal government says yeah you can take 35 percent to administer it and then they're not counting the 35 percent offsetting um, and then it was also all of their costs for being regionally accredited were in there even though that's not a federal mandate and has existed since the 19th century i think all of their programmatic accreditation costs are in there it's even a federal that's it is a federal requirement but for vanderbilt not really right i mean vanderbilt as long as regional accreditation exists it's it's a it is. If Vanderbilt regional, weren't
2: accredited, they couldn't get student. Loans regional accreditation
0: is a straight up federal compliance cost. If you're a for profit college and your business model
2: is being in the Title IV system, I think that's a technicality. You can make your, no, point, you, can make your mean, point, you can make your point. You can make your point without the six whatever six million right. that they say that. Right. Anyway.
1: anyway, I mean, the main thing was the research, which I feel like actually has gotten under. I think. Know, cl- I think claiming that to. accreditation
2: is not, or is, or is not. I mean, I think. I think for a place like Vanderbilt, why would they ever get accredited if it weren't just so they get access? I think it's the same set but of it's incentives. A, it's
0: a status thing. Well, no, because you can't. You can't. I mean, I mean, beyond all that, like your graduates need to be accredited so they can go to grad school and like law school and all that stuff. I mean.
2: But but any any grad like yeah but any grad school could say could say oh we accept graduates from Vanderbilt accreditation or regionally regional accreditation. Accredited
0: I, I am quite sure that Vanderbilt was regionally accredited for decades before it became a Title IV requirement.
2: Um, that's fine, but but I think but but um, there are reasons to there are reasons to argue that that is not entirely that is not uh, unrelated to federal regulation. I would just say that. Okay, I think the research points are valid, um, especially like the sort of. Oh no, we count that as a cost, even though we're reimbursed for it. That seems to be total total amount. Well, like
1: 116 million out of 150 million is a lot of research costs to be folding into this. Right. Like
2: a lot. But I mean, but I mean, so that's fair. So like, so take off the, so like if you take off the reimbursed part, we're still at, because it was like, I think he said 20 or 30 million, right? So you're still around like $80 million that he's talking about well, We have about no for idea compliance. because they won't release the study.
0: I mean, that's the thing about, I mean, it's yeah. just absurd and ridiculous. I can just keep ranting as long as we want to. But, but But the
2: whole, but like this, but I do think one of the, one of the interesting things that will come of this is that this, there will be a long conversation about federal research. And overhead rates and indirect. costs. Also, twenty or thirty percent.
0: I mean, the numbers I usually hear are like fifty-five percent or something. I mean,
2: he was saying twenty or thirty million of the of the money that he uh, said was due to research was due to research was reimbursable or something right. was was something. Um,
1: that's still a low though. That I mean, that's still like twenty-five like, percent of what they said the research amount was.
2: Um. Well, I mean, yeah. I, so, like my, my response to this is always like, well, money ha- money comes from somewhere, right? And so, so to the extent that there that to the extent that getting federal grants for research costs the institution money, mm-hmm. right, above and beyond the money they get from the federal government to do the research, right, which is which tends to be to pay the cost of the research, like somebody's somebody's cross subsidizing that, right? I mean, this is a lot of there's a lot of what's in your book, right? That it's hard to maintain the two. Part of the reason it's hard to maintain the two is because it costs money to do research even if you get it funded because you have to comply with all kinds of requirements around reporting. and.
0: I agree with all that, but that that number is being used to advance a very specific political narrative that is wholly endorsed by Chairman Alexander, which is basically trying to marry the broad public concern about the price of higher education, mainly to undergraduates, with an idea – with a a deregulatory – agenda. Um, and basically saying that the one causes the other, that federal regulation is the thing that is making college so expensive. So if we, if we, uh, enact my deregulatory agenda, then it'll solve that problem. I think that is nonsense on a stick. I think it is completely made up.
2: Well, I think, I think that the, I think that the Vanderbilt, um, the fellow from Vanderbilt answered that question when when Elizabeth Warren said well i assume that if we roll all this back that your tuition would come <laughs> down by that amount, by the proportional amount and he said no and he, and he would not pledge to that. Sure. So I think you're right. I, I don't think that that's... I wouldn't argue that. I think, I, think it's, I think that two things could simultaneously be true, right? I mean, you could, you could say that the federal... That federal regulation around higher... I mean, we did the study of disclosures. The, the sure. number of disclosures is, is, is absurd. And, and, and a lot of them are sort of meaningless, right? Right. Um, Nothing
0: worse than absurd and meaningless at the same time.
2: Yeah, right? So, so, so I, I think that that, that that could be true without that being... Without that being like the primary driver of cost. Somebody's paying... For the person who has to fill all that stuff out, right? Um, there's lots of redundancy between IPEDS finance and aud- the audits that that the financial audits that Ed does, right? For financial solvency, right? I mean, there's just there's things that the federal government is, and it's like anything. Stuff gets layered and layered and layered over time, right? You have a dorm fire. Fire logs. You have, you sure, have sure, campus sure. violence or but Ted Bundy or be, whatever you there have. There needs cl- to be a, we
0: need to be accurate and have a sense of proportion about how much – you, whatever the amount of wasteful federal regulation costs you think exists, and there are some. I'm sure it's something we're, that just – we need to know what it actually is and how big that is compared to all the costs.
2: We're assuming – yeah, but you're assuming that that's, that that's actually like an easy – that that's something that you can easily calculate
0: a reasonable estimate should be obtainable, right? Like a, Maybe. A, based on a methodology that's actually disclosed. and
2: Yeah. I mean, so, so this is not a defense of Vanderbilt, right? I think that, I think that the fact that they're fee- to the extent they're feeding information that is, if not, if not inaccurate, certainly, certainly, um, uh, border borders on interact, inaccurate in, in some cases, that's, that's nonsense. They should be, they should be, if I, if I were, um, somebody who had cited that fact i'd be very very angry and i'd let them know how angry i was
1: i mean it sounds like somebody made a guess of how much they spent on it and then like scrambled to back it up is the only thing that makes sense i
2: think they just did an inclusive estimate as as any as any private firm would do if you ask them how much it costs to comply with state and federal regulations that's what that's what firms do because they credit any any man hour that's spent complying they would say that's Due to them, and so I, so I don't disagree with you. Having a realistic estimate of it would be helpful. I don't know that realistic estimates is going to help that much. What, like, what do we do when, when we have a realistic estimate? You're going to say it's too. You're going to say it's not that much. It, college is going to say still say it's too much, right? So like, <laughs> we
0: can make a judgment about, but we can we can at least agree on what it is relative to something else that we also agree on. So if they right? come back so, and
2: said it was seventy five million.
0: I mean, if they right if they came back if they came back and said it's two if it's six million and it should be two. We could have that argument as long as we all agree that it's six relative to whatever the, you know, the amount of money that they spend is. Yeah. That's I mean, we fair. can have the argument. And, That's and, fair. And but I, I'll but be out there saying spend more money. I don't care. But it's like all
2: this stuff, right? When they go and ask people like, oh, you know, what do you think are the burdensome federal regulations? They say all of them. Because anybody who has to comply with any regulation as part of their job hates the regulation they have to comply with. Even even people on the left who love let regulation, they hate. They hate. I'm happy to have that discussion as
0: long as we take this canard that uh, federal regulation is in any way a significant driver of student tuition off the table.
2: Yeah, and I, th- and I think if you read, I think if you read serious diagnoses of the cost problem, on uh, including by conservative scholars, they don't. Hmm. That's not that's not the top reason. Top reason are structural reasons having to do with the incentives of colleges and the cost disease, which is a real thing, right? I mean, then we're in agreement. Yeah. All right.
0: Any last thoughts from you Good guys? Rant. Good grant, <laughs> Good grant, Kevin. Okay.
2: okay. Thank you very much.
0: All right. Well, this concludes um, this Hired Happy Hour. Not an abbreviated version, as it turned out. But thank you, all of you, <laughs> oh, yeah, for not, listening. Not even a little um, bit. And as always, uh, thank you to Amanda Gaines and John Williams here at New America for doing a fantastic producing job. Um, I hope everyone is enjoying the summer, and we will see you next time.
1: Thank you for listening to this New America podcast. This recording carries a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, share alike, 4.0 international license. Music thanks to Silent Partner for their song, George. To learn more about New America, please visit us at newamerica.org.